The Non-Microwave Truth, a Time of Grace production. And I am C.L. Whiteside. I was reading the Bible the other day and I just got to thinking about like, what type of style would Jesus have? Like I remember people ribbing like, get your big Jesus flip-flops wearing. Like that's pretty lame now, but. Or my shoes cost more than your whole outfit. And I just got to thinking about like, what, what type of style would Jesus have? What would he be wearing in today's world? And I just saw some of my, one of my students, he had on some Nike Auto Max. They like light up Nike shoes, they were like $400. I see people love to wear Jordans, a Yeezy pair of slippers for $1,000. And I'm like, what would Jesus have been wearing in today's world? And I'm like shocked. I'm like shocked Nike has not come up with some shoes called like the, the Nike walking on water brand or line. But our first world problem question today is this. Do you think Jesus would wear like designer shoes and designer clothes in today's world? Now, remember, first world problems, these aren't things we necessarily can prove or disprove. And it really doesn't matter. This is not heaven or hell. But I got to think and I was and this is my answer. This is my guess. Would Jesus wear name brand shoes? And my my answer or guess is this. Yes. But I don't think he would have bought them. I think people would have given him the shoes. And I got to thinking about, you know, Mary wanted to show her love to him. So she did the perfume, took her hair and washed his feet and everything. Like she probably would have been the type to buy him shoes. And Judas still would have been hating. Like, Sister Mary, I don't think that's a good use of money, my dear. I think we can use that money to help the poor and feed the needy. When low-key, he just mad that she didn't buy him shoes. Mad that he couldn't take the money and do whatever he was doing with the money. Or, you know, I thought about like the Magi. When the Magi brought their three gifts, I'm thinking in today's world, they probably would have bought a bunch of little baby Jordans or just nice shoes for baby Jesus. I do see Jesus being a minimalist. And I do see if he was in today's world, he will have some awesome sermon about shoes or designer clothes because our American culture is so enamored by that. But what do you think? Do you think Jesus would be Gucci down to the flow, baby, baby? Or do you think he'd be like a minimalist, maybe a white tee, a nice pair of J's or a nice pair of Yeezy flip flops or something like that? And I just want you to think about that. If your pastor had on a pair of Jordans, you know, $250 pair of shoes, a pair of Yeezys or some type of expensive pair of shoes, would you be looking at him crazy and be like, that's a poor use of money? I mean, just be honest. What would you be thinking? Or is that cool to you and make him more relatable? This is our first world problem question today, though. What type of shoes do you think Jesus will be wearing in today's world? I said he would be, he would have some designer shoes with a minimum swag, but he wouldn't be buying the shoes. Somebody would be giving him the shoes. Let me know what you think. We'd love to hear from you on Instagram or Twitter. My handle is championlife23, and this is our first world problem. It's that time. Yes, it is dinner time. Perspective is everything. That's the title of our episode today. Perspective is everything. And just being the Christmas season, it got me thinking. It got me thinking like, what if you don't get everything you want? What if you don't get anything that you want? And I just want you to keep a buck with yourself. Are you spoiled? I can definitely say that I know that I'm pretty spoiled. 
but Christmas is supposed to be a season for Jesus. But do we remember that or is it more about getting presents? For some of you, it might be more about giving and you actually do have that, that cheerful spirit. Christmas a lot of times makes us reflect on what we don't have and what we think we need. Because people are looking to give you a gift and so you have to think about sometimes like, what do you need? And just me thinking about that, it's like, man, I really don't need anything. I might have a couple of things that I want, but it's like, I, I don't need anything. I'm blessed. I, I got enough. I got too much, matter of fact. Are you in that same boat or are you thinking to yourself, oh, no, I need these boots. Oh, no, I need those shoes. I need a new watch. I need some new earrings. I need a new video game system or some video games to go for that system. I need a new phone. I need, I need, I want, I want, I want. But I just got to, I got to tell you this. If you are listening to this, you are one of the richest people in the world. And some of you are like, no, I'm broke. You just don't know, brother, I'm broke. No, you, you are one of the richest people in the world. I want you to Google, how rich am I? And I just want, to, want you to think about this. And I just want to give you a little bit of perspective. If you make $20,000 a year, you are in the top percent in the world. You are in the top 10% in the entire world. But like I said, perspective is everything. And I can guarantee is someone out there who's like American rich, like one, you know, one of those people that's filthy rich, richy rich, and they ticked off like, man, I'm so mad at my dad. Oh, why? Because he didn't get Drake to come to my 16th birthday party. Man, he's so cheap. He was only like 250000 Or, oh my gosh, I'm so upset that my boo did not get me the new Ferrari with the suicide doors that come up. Yes, like he waited too long and now I don't have a Ferrari with the suicide doors. Like, I can't believe he did that. I cannot believe he forgot that was the only thing that I wanted for Christmas. And you're probably sitting there like, boy, them people, you know those people rich if you got problems like that or that that's on your Christmas list and you didn't get it. And I have some of that in me, too. You know, if certain food's not good, I'm mad. Like, give me a new one. Give me a new one. This steak is too burnt. I want it medium rare, you know. I got a little bit of that in me, and I can admit that. And this all comes down to perspective. My wife has this in our house. She she put this in one of the bathrooms. I don't know if you call it a wall poster or a, a wall. It's not a painting, but it says this. It says, when you love what you have, you have everything you need. Like, man, just just think about the perspective with that. And on this episode, what I want to do is I want to look at a couple of perspectives of individuals in the Bible or groups of people in the Bible and just see how similar we are to having those exact same perspectives, especially during this time of Christmas. And Christmas enhances and teaches all of us to be selfish like I'm selfish. You probably are, too. We're designed to want more and more and more. And chase happiness through stuff. The first perspective I want to look at is we'll call the Ecclesiastes perspective because a lot of people can guess it's Solomon, but we're not for sure. But and in that book, he just talks about how many different things are meaningless. Like at the end of the day, this man was filthy, stupid, rich. He would be equivalent to a millionaire, maybe even a billionaire in today's time. Now, how many of us are thinking if you just gave me one million, I'd be happy. But. What he teaches us and and reminds us that money doesn't give you happiness. Then when he had money, he had to have more women. Some people are like, man, if I just had one good person in my life, I would be good. And if this writer does happen to be Solomon, 
he didn't just have one wife, one baddie, two baddies. He had over a thousand different women. A lot of people like, just give me one, Lord. Just give me one good one. But regardless, like I said, if you listen to this podcast, you're rich in some form or fashion. And we are all like Solomon chasing more and wanting more. And the stuff is meaningless. And that's something we got to just remind ourselves, like what really matters in this world? More stuff does not matter. And when I say it doesn't matter, I mean, it's not going to make you happy. Ultimately, it's not going to make you whole. You can't take it with you. When you're dead, you're dead. You're not bringing it with you. And I know I mentioned Judas earlier, but then that got me thinking about the, the Judas perspective. And what I mean by that is if you look in John chapter 12, Judas couldn't be happy for Jesus when when Mary was giving Jesus the perfume and using her hair to wipe his feet. Judas was in the background like, mm-mm, mm-mm, that, I could, that should be me, man. I should have that money. I should be doing this with that money. And I'm telling you, social media, social media will definitely make you do that. It will make you compare. It will make you think, does that person deserve that? It will make you be like, well, why can't I have this blessing? Because you got to remember, social media is someone's highlight reel. And then that makes you think that life is going to be a highlight. It's, it's not. Life is not one big highlight. But it makes you not be able to be happy for people at times. And I want you to think about this, that this Christmas, are you happy when you see someone else getting blessed or what you deem is blessed? But, but CL, like, I'm not mad that that person is getting blessed. I'm just like, how are they so happy? But yet I can't be happy at all. And a lot of that, a lot of that comes from the perspective that we have. Like perspective is everything. We're not counting our blessings. We think we know what's best for us and our desires are not being shaped by God. Our desires are being shaped by this commercial garbage filled social media deluding and telling you what you want. Like you don't even want that stuff half the time. You just want it because you've been programmed and, and hypnotized by the social media algorithms and that mess. And that made me think about this, this next perspective, which I would call the, the lack of confidence perspective. And the person from the Bible that popped up in my mind right away was Moses. And when Moses was first chosen to lead the people out of Israel, he lacked confidence. And how many of us lack confidence in ourselves in certain areas? And when I say that, we, I really should say we lack confidence in what God can do and how he can use us. And God is calling you to do something, but you're making excuses on why you can't. Like Moses was called to take over and lead the people out of Egypt. Moses is like, you know, but, but what if they don't believe me or they listen to me and they say the Lord did not appear to you? And God is like, dude, throw your staff on the ground. And it turned into a snake. And God will give you certain signs like this. And we do like Moses does. We run away from it <laughs> like Moses ran away from it. And God is like, just grab it by the tail, man. Just grab it by the tail. And then he goes on and say, hey, put your hand in the cloak. And all of a sudden he has leprosy. Put your hand back in the cloak. Now the leprosy has gone. And the Lord says, if they don't believe you or pay attention to the first sign, they may believe the second. But if they don't believe these two signs or listen to you, take some water from the Nile and pour it on the dry ground. The water you take from the river will become blood on the ground. Now Moses comes with another excuse. Pardon your servant, Lord. I have never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. You can just tell 
God is like, come on, Moses. Then he said to him, who gave human beings their mouths, Moses? Who makes them deaf or mute, Moses? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, go, Moses. I will help you speak and will teach you what to say. Moses says, pardon your servant, please, please send someone else, though. Pretty please send somebody else. I don't want to do it. That's how I picture Moses acting and sounding. And we're kind of the same way. I can't do this job. I can't get out of this situation. I can't get the grade. I can't do whatever you you fill in the blank. You know what you're struggling with right now. And we're all guilty of this. All of us make excuses when we don't want to do something and God tells us to do it. And our excuses sound great to us, don't they? Like, did Moses have a point with him not being the best speaker? Yeah, he, he had a point, but it wasn't valid because God said, I got you. God said, I will give you what to say. And a lot of us are in that same situation where we have valid points in our mind, but God is telling you, I'm greater than your point. And more importantly, stop looking at this from a human viewpoint. Look at this from the viewpoint I'm telling you to. Look at the perspective that I'm trying to give you. Perspective is everything. Now, on the opposite end of this spectrum, we have the perspective of I'm so confident in myself. I'm so enamored with the great skills that God has blessed me with. And I want to leave a legacy. And I want to do this at the expense of possibly being disobedient to God. Now, both of these perspectives whether they want to admit it or not, that's us having a perspective that, you know what? I actually know more and I know better than God. I know how I should serve. I know what's best to do with me. And the Tower of Babel perspective is what we'll call this next one. And this is from Genesis 11. And if you are familiar, aren't familiar with the Tower of Babel, this was a this was the people of that time saying, I know we're supposed to scatter the earth and populate it like God told us to. But man, forget that. Like. We all speak the same language. Let us build ourselves a city. In fact, let's build a tower that reaches to the heavens. Let's show God how great we are. We're going to touch the heavens. We're going to go see him whenever we want to. Our name will be so known, people will never, ever forget about us. And God says, pause, stop. This is a pretty easy fix. You won't be able to speak the same language anymore. You're all confused. So no longer will you be able to work with Jim. Because you don't understand Jim. So that big city you thought you were going to build, that tower you thought that was actually going to reach the heavens, like, first of all, you can't reach the heavens, but yeah, you can't do it anymore. And this is the exact same as us today when we ignore God's orders or his commands or his his whispers and his nudges. And we're like, you know what, Lord, I can't really do this your way because I got to do whatever it takes to get known or be popular or get followers, or get noticed, or, or get the accolades that I want. And a lot of times, we will sacrifice what is right to get that money. We, we chase the paper. And this is that perspective that if you knew better, then that's your cue to do better. And they definitely knew better. We definitely know better. But we want to play God at times. This is the same as someone who's dating another person. They know they shouldn't be dating. They know they have no business dating them, but they like, you know what, I probably could change them. I probably could get him to do this and this. We better listen to God. We better make sure we're on the same page as him. Because the perspective that he's trying to give us is a perspective greater and best for each one of us. Their infatuation and desire to build a name that will last forever 
got them in trouble. And their perspective was just so wrong because, one, they weren't listening to God. But two, they were trying to bring heaven to earth when it's not designed like that. And they were trying to be a God. We aren't here to be a God or to try to bring heaven to earth. We are here to serve God. Just think about that. Now, this next perspective, I want you just to personally think about how do you view challenges? Like, how do you view obstacles? Do you see those as problems? Do those stress you out? Do those overwhelm you? Or do you look at challenges and obstacles as chances to grow? Do you see them as opportunities? Do you always have a positive spin on them? I want to now look at the perspective of Joshua and Caleb. This is in the book of Numbers chapter 13 and 14. Now, what happens is God tells Moses to send some men to explore the land of Canaan. Canaan is the land that was going to be given to the Israelites. It was promised to be given to them. And he told Moses to pick 12 different men from each of the tribes to go out and explore the land and come back and bring a report. Remind you, like I said, this land is promised and guaranteed to him. So each tribe has one leader and 10 of the leaders from the tribe, because it's 12 different tribes, they came back like, yeah, the land is the land is beautiful, man. It's flowing in milk and honey. They even brought back some fruit looking just scrumptious. But they're like, nah, we can't go. These people are giants. What are you trying to do? Get us killed? Like, no, we, we cannot go invade this land. We will get devoured. We, we, we can't do it. And this is true. They got some big people, some some baby, some giants. I ain't gonna say baby giants, some some giants. And it's only two of them, Caleb and Joshua, who like, let's go do it. We should go up right now and take possession of the land. We can do it. God said he has us. He, he will give us the land. Let's go do it. So this is a prime example where one perspective was seeing all of the obstacles, all of the challenges, seeing the huge people. It's knowing the fact that they were great warriors, having that fear in your heart. Fear is crippling. They forgot about God's promises and they didn't listen to his guidance. They were more so just too scary to make a move. These 10 who did not want to go and had that fear, they got the rest of the Israelite community to start grumbling and complaining. Why did you bring us here? We should have stayed in Egypt. You're going to get us killed. You just brought us up here to die. And Joshua and Caleb, they get mad. They, they tear their clothes and they're like, man, if we're doing this the way we're supposed to and God is pleased with us, he's going to lead us into this land. He will give this to us. But the people, they didn't buy it. They were way too afraid. In fact, they were so against Joshua and Caleb that they talked about stoning and killing them. Like, I'm going to throw some stones at you and kill you. And I really, really admire Joshua and Caleb's determination, or I should say commitment in this situation, because they weren't they weren't changing their thought process. They like, dude, we can do this. And that just reminds me that the world is going to hate us at times. And to even double the fact that sometimes your family won't even understand and just will point out all the negatives and all the problems in certain situations. But if it's God sent and God has already given you what you should be doing, you got to keep your perspective with the lens that he is giving you. You don't want to take somebody else's lens because the people can find the negative in any and everything. They can. They absolutely can. And people don't try to, but their fear can, fear can become contagious and it can spread like a disease. But Caleb and Joshua, they had trust. And something I want to point out, too, is they weren't denying the facts that the people were giants 
or that they were great warriors. They were just reminding the people of the fact that God is greater than any enemy. God is greater than any giant. And that's what people don't do sometimes. They forget about the fact of who God is and what he says he will do. He will do for his children. Go make some time to check that out in, and read that in Numbers 13 and 14, chapters 13 and 14, I should say. So that was a case where we had 10 men in the Israelite community that was just flat out disobedient. They flat out were fearful and they, they didn't listen to God. We oftentimes have that passive aggressive disobedience. And that brings us to the perspective of Sarah. This is in Genesis 16 through, through 18. Her name isn't even Sarah. It's actually Sarah I at the time. But despite Abram and Sarah I being promised to have a son, and they realized, like, we are old. Like, we 70, 80 years old. We're going to help God out. Even though God said she's going to be the mother of a great nation. They got ahead of God, didn't have the patience, and they had the perspective of, man, we got to help God out. Like, think about that. You got to help the man out who created the entire universe, who created you. That's, yeah, I do that too. They wanted to microwave the process. You can't microwave processes that shouldn't be microwaved. I'm, I'm telling you, just don't do it. But Sarah came up with a great idea. Sarah, I should say, came up with a great idea of, you know what? I have this female servant, Hagar. I would just give Hagar to Abram, tell him that they can have sex. And then when she becomes pregnant, I'll raise the kid like it's my own. Even though God said, I'm going to bless you with a kid. Anyway, Abram, he agrees to this mess. He goes ahead and he has sex with Hagar. And of course, she conceives. And Sarah, I immediately changes, though, like while she's pregnant, she despises her. She's jealous. She hates her. She wants her to be gone and get wants to get rid of her. And it's like, if you would have just waited. And that's the same thing with us. We are in a culture of, I got to have it now. Like That's a process you should never microwave. Some of us are microwaving the process to find love. We'll do anything to find love. If that means giving up the cookie from the cookie jar to find love, I'm going to find it. And even something that's not as serious like losing weight. We just don't have the patience. Or I want to get rid of a pain. We will try to get rid of that pain and help God out. If that means doing drugs, I'll do it. I just I just want to be happy. How many times do we say that? And we'll start chasing anything that seems good. And I put air quotes around good. But we're just not being patient enough and or we're doing it the wrong way. We got to stop trying to help God out. And we got to stop being impatient and start being faithful with the small things. Being faithful with the things that he tells us to be faithful with. Go read the rest of Genesis chapter 16 when you get some time and just see how that ends up and the thing that the devil wants to get all of us to think he wants us to be like you know what i know what god said but that sounds impossible or it's outdated like sarah I and abram were thinking in their heads it's impossible it's impossible for god to do that or you know what it hasn't happened yet maybe he forgot about me like man god is god didn't forget about you just need to be patient patient and faithful Patient and faithful. And the last perspective that I want to look at is Mary's perspective. When I'm talking about Mary, I'm talking about Mary, the mother of Jesus. A lot of Bible scholars think that she was a teenager when she conceived Jesus. Have you ever thought about how crazy it had to be to be pregnant 
and you didn't have sex? And this is your first time being pregnant too? And Joseph's perspective is something to admire too, because you got to realize from a worldly perspective, somebody comes up to you and is like, hey, your girl is pregnant, but, but the father is God. Man, how many of us would have been like, yeah, and I'm seven feet tall. Like, get out of here. But he trusted it. He believed God. And I know his boys just had to be like, Joseph, you told me you told me you ain't hit it. How, how's she pregnant then? And the ignoring of all of the slick comments that probably were said about them. But back to Mary and how her perspective is just so awesome is because she's a teenager and she's having all of this thrown at her. She has to have some fear. But this is the beauty of it. Mary's perspective was to embrace everything. And it tells us in Luke chapter 2, verse 19, it says, Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. I can guarantee Mary didn't ask for this life. She didn't ask for this, this responsibility. Some would have looked at it as a burden, but she looked at it as an opportunity. And in this Christmas time, our, our commercialized and need more and gimme gimme era, what are you looking at? What is something that you're struggling with? Are you just looking at it wrong? Do you see every challenge as a problem or do you see it as an opportunity? Do you see all the reasons you can't or do you see all the ways that God tells you you can? Like, Are you seeing all the ways you're blessed or are you complaining about what you don't have? When you love what you have, you have everything you need. Remind yourself, you have a God who loves you, a God who gives you his spirit, a God who wants the absolute best for you. And this is the non-microwave truth. Check your perspective because perspective is everything. Peace punch, Captain Crunch. Say no to drugs and yes to Jesus. I'm out.